0: Welcome to Three Night Weekend, a new podcast from Sifted Games at sifted.net, where we talk to gaming industry luminaries and help you plan your weekend to come. I'm Shane Satterfield and you can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. The show goes live every Friday morning for our patrons and the following Monday for everyone else. If you want to listen to it when it's at its full power, head to patreon.com/slash sifted and pledge at least four dollars per month. This week, we're talking to Tommy Talarico. He's a rare breed in the games industry in that he's worked in just about every one of its corners. From game development to TV work to concert series to hardware, he's truly done it all. All right, here we are with someone who I believe completely defies description within the gaming industry. Tommy Talarico. We've talked to a lot of people for Three Night Weekend, but all of them have done maybe one or two things in the gaming industry. Like, best case scenario, they worked in the press and they, d- they were a developer. But Tommy, you have literally done everything. You've been a developer. <laughs> you you have worked in the press for an extended period of time. Uh-huh. Um, you started your own concert series. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, you kind of started the wave of video game OSTs. Sure. And now you're mm-hmm. working on hardware. <laughs> it's crazy. There aren't many people like you. How did you get to this place? Is it just that you have such a passion for games that you're interested in kind of every facet of it? That
1: would, that would be the one word I would use passion. Yeah. I I mean, I love everything uh, I do. I'm excited every day I get up. I, you know, I I only sleep about four or five hours a day um, because I'm or a (laughs) night because I or the day depending (laughs) or the day um, because I love what I'm doing and I love, you know, I love my life. I love and My grandfather always told me, they said, look, find a career that what that you love what you do and you'll never feel like you're you're working and that's exactly how I feel I never you know my wife has to come upstairs sometimes and it's like uh, hey coming down for dinner I'm like yeah I'll I'll be (laughs) right there and that's at six o'clock and then I I look up and she's like hey you're gonna be down for breakfast I'm like what What?" (laughs) (laughs) you're right
0: and I kind of follow gaming for the same reason you know i I have a journalism degree and I was like, what do I want to write about whenever I actually start trying to get a job? Something you love. Yeah. Something you love. And you're right. You never work a day. Um, You may still get worn out, but you never, (laughs) you never feel like it, like you did when you worked a minimum wage job when you were in high school or whatever. Right. And this started for you at a very, at least the music part of it started for you at a very early age. You knew you wanted to follow music when you were like a kid. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was a couple of influences, big influences in my early life. Um, So I started playing piano when I was three and guitar when I was five. Because you know, when you're that age, you always want to do something to like impress your parents, right? You do something funny, your parents laugh. You you do it again, you know. And and for me, my parents were a product of the '50s, so they would always listen to Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire, and and uh, Elvis Presley, Jailhouse Rock, stuff like that. So I would learn to you know bang those out on the piano, and my Parents just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. I'm the <laughs> o- oldest of an all Italian, 100% Italian family. And they'd call the neighbors over when relatives would come over, look, play, play. And so, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm impressing my parents. So that initially got me into it. And then when I was five years old, uh, I remember The Godfather came out. And for an Italian family, even though I'd never really saw or understood the godfather at such a young age because it was you know a violent movie my parents didn't let me see it and you, you don't you don't take your kid to the theater to go <laughs> see the godfather but my dad would always hum the theme and he got the eight track on soundtrack or whatever album yeah. or something
0: it was the eight track
1: right yep. and so and so i i picked up a guitar and then i started learning that again to impress you know to impress my dad and then um my cousin is Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. His, yeah, his the,
0: is okay, you just slid that in there. That well, your, your cousin was well, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Yeah, his
1: his real name is Steven Tellerico, And so we used to go see his shows. And and again, I grew up in Massachusetts where you know the, the band was out of you know uh-huh. out of Boston. So we'd go to the Boston Gardens and <laughs> uh and and watch. Cous- to me he was just cousin steven and then you know they put the family on the side of the stage and here he is performing in front of thirty thousand people and i'm like Hippies. <laughs> when i'm like seven eight years old i'm just like yeah oh, i guess that that looks like a cool job that's what i want to do when i grow up you know yeah and then in 1977 i'm nine years old and Ro- rocky or sorry 1975 rocky comes out uh-huh. 75 70 i think it was 76 Rocky comes out and that music, you know, that's what got me into orchestral music. And then the following year in 77, Star Wars comes out, and then Raiders of the Lost comes out, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then Tron. It was like bam, bam, and video games are the biggest thing. And so it's like, I mean, everybody thinks whenever they grew up was the best time in history to grow up. I totally get that. My mom always says the 50s were the greatest time, and I believe her. But for me and what I love doing, you see how it, it like just infects my life. It's like Star Wars and video games and Tron and music. And, you know, and then in Gen 1977, X. Gen X is the
0: best generation,
1: right? I just everything. we got Hallen's to see everything we to see
0: analog. Out. We got to see computers and video games appear. We've lived through this whole modern age with cell phones and blockchains and all this other. We have That's truly right. seen it all. Uh, yeah. I think Generation F, we were very lucky. And again, even in the
1: 70s, you know, we had Led Zeppelin still and the Beatles early on. And but then by the late 70s, The Police and Journey and Van Halen's first album that changed my life for guitar. It's like I, I wanted to be like Eddie Van Halen rest in peace eddie right yeah um but uh yeah so that it was all passion music and video games were my whole life pretty much growing up
0: now before we move on do you still stay in touch with steven tyler
1: oh all all the time we were texting uh what was it like a couple weeks ago yeah yeah he's 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 so proud of of uh of my accomplishments and um it's been great i mean it's it's really really cool and um yeah, he has a, he has a Grammy party every year that mm-hmm. uh, that we see each, each other at least once a year, but it's been tough during uh, during yeah. the COVID stuff the
0: lockdown. Yeah.
1: It's funny though when we're on tour together, uh, meaning we're touring at the same time. Not yep. you know so like like he'll be uh, you know in Brazil, and I'll be in Chile, and 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 uh, hey, I'm going to be <laughs> in Brazil tomorrow. Hey, we're playing Peru the following. You know, we're kind yep. of texting each other back and forth, and uh, you know, uh, I'm sending them pictures of the dressing room. I'm like, "Oh, it looks like you'll be here next month. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'll and, leave something uh, for you under the
1: rug or whatever." I, that's what I did. I, I left a pic for him in one <laughs> nice. of the signs in the uh, behind the sign in the dressing room. I said, here, go see if you have that." And then a month later, I get a you know picture back, and it's a picture of the pic it's still whatever. there.
0: That's great. Yeah. That's great. So as a late teenager you decide to move out to california you've fallen in love with video games i was
1: 21 21 okay yeah. and
0: you've decided that you want to make it your vocation you just move out to california very brave yeah. um, a lot of us have done it i'm from the east coast as well i just moved out in like 2000 1999 how, how old thing. were you when you moved out uh 26 got so it. a little and older you than by you by
1: yourself or did you come out with friends
0: i came out with my girlfriend yeah got who is now absolutely. my wife Do- that's the way to
1: do it. See, yeah. I, I I was uh I was so hungry and driven and passionate and 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 young. Yeah. Uh, um,
0: <laughs> and in some it, ways stupid and maybe a little right? brave. I, that's yeah. that's kind of
1: how I meant that. You know, yeah. like not, you know, like I look back now and go, God, was I crazy? Yeah. You know, but <laughs> but it was, it was that I I didn't care about anything else except you know, making a career in, in the entertainment world somehow, or video games. And so, so yeah, so I moved out. I had, I I was 21. I left my parents crying on the doorstep and I just got my little two seater car and I drove out to California. I had no job out there. I had no friends. I'd never been, you know, no place uh, to
0: live. Right. You were homeless for a while. I was homeless.
1: I was homeless. Yeah. And I had no money. I had, had repair, right? <laughs> I had a credit card with five hundred dollars on it. That, wow. that to get me all the way to California. And I didn't even know if I was gonna run out of gas or not. Yeah. Like, yeah. By the time I got to Vegas, it was like touch and go
0: if I was even gonna
1: make it. <laughs>
0: You're like, I you just know? got six hours to go to make it to LA, please. Right.
1: Well, it I remember I would just I bought a loaf of bread and peanut butter and jelly. And that that my two weeks that I took to go out there. I I I think I bought two. I ended up doing that twice, but that would that's what I would eat the entire week. Yep. Just peanut and, butter and jellies three times a day.
0: And just an example of how different things were back then. You get a job at like a music store, right? First day I was
1: there, I picked up a newspaper. I got a job at Guitar Center. And yeah. you're at next
0: work morning <laughs> and you're wearing a gaming t-shirt to work. I did. And somebody notices your shirt and basically offers you a job based upon you wearing a video game shirt. Is that right?
1: But, yes. But, but let me set it up for <laughs> it's you. Cause, crazy cause, Tommy. Because for folks who weren't around back then, this is the, you know, the late eighties, early nineties. The thing to understand is that there weren't video game t-shirts around back. Right. Then. Oh, you stood out. Absolutely. There's no internet. They, they didn't have them at Walmart or Kmart or Sears or nothing. You could, you There were no video
0: game t-shirts. The only thing you could get was like Pac-Man fever t-shirts. If that. If <laughs> those, that. those made it into like Hills and like the precursor to Walmart Hills. Right, you know, right. right.
1: <laughs> and so the way I got this t-shirt is that I used to read all the video game magazines. Uh, I think you know, Electronic Games was around. Bill Kunkel and those guys. Yep. And uh, Arnie Katz. And uh, and I'd read them religiously and I saw that this Japanese company PC Engine was going to be, you know, they they were doing this like kind of U.S. tour and they were stopping at like five different five or six different fairs across the U.S. and Canada. And the closest one to me was in Toronto, which was about an eight hour drive. And so I begged my mom to please drive me there cuz I didn't have a, you know, That's car. a long haul. and she did, my you wow. know. My mom <laughs> like, you know, talk She's about a Trooper. A great, great mom. Yeah. We Trooper, right? And she gets to the fair, of course, she wants to like go ride on rides with her son and everything. No, I we waited in line for 2 hours to play this the Turbo Graphic <laughs> 16 and it hadn't even come out yet. Uh-huh. And they were basically just doing a focus test. They're like what do you think of this game? What do you think? Blah 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 and you'd fill out this thing, and then at the end they gave me a Turbo 16 T-shirt, and I was just like, "Well, worth this the trip." Is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> worth the 16. And that was the and drive. that was the summer before I went to California. So, uh-huh. uh, so I, when I went to California, I had a little two-seater car. I had a couple of Roland keyboards, a four-track Fostex recorder, and and I had three T-shirts and a pair of jeans. And one of those T-shirts was was uh, the Turbo Graphics. So when I'm at my first day on the job in California, what shirt am I going to wear? That was like my trophy. Oh so yeah, the one you're most I proud of. I wore that shirt on the first day, and the first person who walked in, the doors literally open. The guy was standing outside. The door opens, comes over the keyboard section, and he sees my shirt, and he goes how the hell do you even know about that? Yeah. <laughs> Again, it, was turbo graphics it wasn't even out in the U S yet. Right. And I told, Oh, I tested games for, you know, I, I, I went to, a you told him the player. whole story told and yeah. the story. And then I told him how passionate about video games they were. And he's a guy who worked for Richard Branson and they were starting a virgin video game company right down the street. And he says, this is great. Hey, do you want a job? I'm like, yes. Doing what? <laughs> and they said, we'll pay you six bucks an hour and minimum wage was $4 an hour. Cause that's what I was getting at the guitar shop. Yeah. That was guitar center. Yeah. Um, they said I'll pay you six bucks an hour and just play video games. And like you did to get the shirt and I'm like, well, this is just the greatest. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this California place is okay. Yeah. So I was a video game. I, I was in California three days and I was in the video game industry and I was unreal
0: years ago. Definitely does not happen that way anymore. Not, Never happen, know, I,
1: Some I, call it luck, but I don't believe in luck. I, no, I call it passion. It, it was your I, passion
0: that you drove to see the Turbo right. Graphics. That you got the shirt. That that's you came right. back and that you struck out with five hundred dollars
1: and a loaf of bread. You, you, you make you make your own opportunities sometimes, and when, yeah. when when you know when that opportunity a- appears, you gotta you know you gotta be able to to grab it and uh, and that's yeah that was that was. I'm a very positive mental attitude. I believe in uh, you know, the, the vibe you put out to the universe, you're gonna get it back. If you've ever seen the documentary, The Secret or read the book, it's you know, about the art of attraction. Whatever yeah. you put out to the world is what you're gonna get back. So that's why I'm always trying to put out positive vibes and it all comes back to you. you know. And, and yep. so I'm a big yeah.
0: believer in fate. Okay. Um, so you get the job working with Virgin games and yeah. quickly they realized that I was you're homeless. I was still, you were
1: still homeless. <laughs> I was sleeping under the pier at Huntington beach for three weeks. The first Before three you weeks I was out Save there. up
0: enough money to get. Yeah. Because I
1: didn't know again, I'm this young kid. I'd never been to California, you know, and I didn't <laughs> know anyone in California. Right. Right. So, so when you, when you get out there and and I'm like, Oh, I better get an apartment. And they're like, Oh yeah, you need first months and last months and yeah. a security deposit. I'm like, what's that? Yeah, and like I didn't even know because I lived. They're like, oh, you have to pay for electric. Really? I thought yeah. electricity was free. <laughs> I had zero clue of what was going on. And so, and then of course, when you start a new job, they typically hold back check. Yep. Right.
0: Yep, so the, that's the right. page, yeah,
1: that's right. That's true. So, uh, yeah, I don't well, know if they still
0: do that anymore. They used to though. I just,
1: yeah, I don't know. They did it back then. So yeah, yep. so it took me uh 3 weeks before I had enough money to to get an apartment.
0: Wow. And so <laughs> you start your job and they quickly realize that you're a musician, which they probably should have figured out from where they met you because you were And you ask them if you can start making music for games and they say yes. And what was yeah, I it said like? Did I do it for free? Yeah, you said you do it for free. If you don't what like it... it, you lose nothing. Yeah. What was it like working in game development, really at the very beginning of it all? Uh, it was. It was so. I mean, it was exciting
1: like crazy because anything that like I did that was kind of unique was like special and the first time it's like
0: the first time it had ever happened yeah stuff, stuff
1: happened right so yeah so like you know whether i was like when i did uh terminator on the sega cd it was 1993 no one had played live guitar on on a on a you know on a video game before or it all been you know, mini before like, that doing like banjo music in earthworm yeah. gym this is before banjo and kazooie yeah um you know no one had ever heard banjo music coming out of a video game, so it was exciting in that aspect, but it was also very challenging because the technology was so crap back then. I mean, w- the very first game I ever worked on was the original Prince of Persia with Jordan Mechner, yeah, and 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 they didn't have tools for audio because back then audio was like the very last thing anyone ever did or cared about in a game yeah and and by the time they got to the audio there was no cartridge space left there was no money left and there was no time left so it's just like make some sounds make the (laughs) sounds, and loop them (laughs) yeah four days you know yeah on on a on a system that you know no one's written a driver for um and so so it was very challenging but i would sit down with the programmers and and you know i i knew basic programming like the language of basic i Uh you know me and my younger brother used to you know do uh dirty uh text adventures when we were kids you know
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, we all did and you save them on like literally a a cassette a
1: tape recorder disc. or a floppy disk. Yeah, or a cassette. That's right. would yeah.
0: cassette, cassette before the
1: floppy, yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, so, so it was really challenging. But, you know, I learned how to take numbers and turn them into music. Paragraphs of numbers and turn them into music. And luckily, there was a thing that had just come out called MIDI, which stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface. And that basically was, uh, was, you know, an electronic keyboard that, that it would output what note you were hitting and how long you were hitting it for and what the space was between the time you hit the next note, right? And so that was enough data to put into a paragraph that I could then get the programmer to throw out the sound chip in the Game Boy or the NES or whatever we were working on at the time. Um, Later on, Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. Um, And so, yeah, so that, that, you know, and, and that's how you made music. So it was challenging, but, you know, you'd spend longer Trying to get it to sound like something than you did actually writing the music.
0: So <laughs> That's funny because you're right. You talk. You think about a game like Prince of Persia. You're like, how to make it sound like Arabic D- or whatever, D-
1: D- 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 Middle Eastern. I wanted yeah. the Middle Eastern, so I went out and I bought a bunch of Middle Eastern. Uh, you know, um, uh, like uh, you know, like woodwind albums, and and I and I just I. Talk. And you have I'm, to make I'm, the MIDI
0: sound like that somehow,
1: right? And I I'm self-taught, so I didn't I didn't you know graduate with a degree in music. I don't mm-hmm. really know how to read music. I kind of do, but I don't sight read or anything like that. So so for me, I just I learned to play by ear. I did that my whole life. Uh, like you know Eddie Van Halen never yeah. took a guitar lesson his whole life. Yeah. Um. And so I uh, I would listen to these Middle Eastern albums, and then I would just kind of mimic what I would hear. You know, so you're learning chord progressions. You're learning uh, key signatures and 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 you know all sorts of you know uh, different things like that just by listening to the pros. And then I kind of you know would would do it from there.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, and so from there, your career really just exploded. Um, some would say that you were kind of the first game developer rock star and not just because you were working in music, which, you know, the obvious parallels are there, but to me, you were kind of the first developer that I saw where I was like, You can make a lot of money making video games. (laughs) (laughs) Look, A lot of the early developers, they were kind of frumpy. I mean, I hate to use the word, but they were like nerds. You know, they they weren't that concerned about like flaunting the money that they had made. They just wanted to keep making games. You were kind of like the first developer I saw that was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a freaking Ferrari and I'm (laughs) going to take a bunch of photos with my Ferrari and I'm going to get them out there. I'm going to, I'm going to buy this mansion and I'm going to make it like a gamer's paradise. And I'm going to show people that I have this mansion with all this cool stuff in it. You. And I don't, I don't look at it as like a narcissistic thing. I think it was good for the industry because I think it allowed a lot of people to dream. And see that this is this attainable thing that they can get to via games. And as time has gone on, I believe people have found that there's different ways to get to that same goal. Yeah. But I really think that you are inspirational for a lot of people, Tommy, as far as like seeing like, wow, like you can become really successful. I am sure a lot of kids who were maybe going to college and said, you know what, I'm going to learn to be a programmer. And their parents were like, you're crazy. I get many I guarantee letters. a lot yeah. of people said, oh, really? And pulled out a photo of you with your Ferrari and said, this yeah. is what you can do. And I, I, I'm sure some people, they, oh, you know, back then they were probably like, what's Tommy doing putting up his photos with his Ferraris? But to me, it, it created dreams and aspirations. And I feel like probably for a lot of people, that was the case.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's interesting because there is kind of a fine line between, uh, you know, uh, egotistical narcissism and confidence, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. and so that's and 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 some people misconstrue confidence with. With uh, you know being stuck up or egotistical or whatever, yep. so for me again, always having a positive attitude, always feeling like I'm going to make it to the top of the mountain. You know, like like my best friend David Perry, who was the programmer of Earthworm Jim, considered the the father of cloud gaming. Yep. Um, you know, he he always says, "Look, I've been Tommy's best friend for you know thirty plus years." and uh, I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every, everything that, that I've ever set out to do, I don't do it half-assed and I just, I consider it a goal. And in my mind, I will succeed, right? if I can dream it, I will achieve it. And some people look at that and say, Oh wow. You know, that, that's what, what a jerk, what a conceited jerk that, that he thinks he's just assumes that he can win and succeed. Yes. And if, and if, and if that's, if that's considered being crossing the line into uh, you know, into narcissism, well, you know, whatever (laughs) I, I disagree, but you know, that's a different thing. But, but the, so, so some people took that the wrong way, I think maybe, But like you said, more people thought it was cool. But here's the reason I did it, though. Here's the reason I did it. There's two reasons. One is exactly what you mentioned. When people would think what is a video game developer, they picture like, like you mentioned, you know, a negative thing. And it's like, but there were a bunch of cool people in the video game industry. It wasn't is necessarily like that as much as people would think it would be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was to break that stereotype. That was the, that was the first thing. But the second thing and the most important reason for me was, is that back then nobody knew who worked on video games. Nope. Nobody, it was very rare. Like, nobody know who Koji Kondo was, nope. the, the musician from the Mario. They nope. wouldn't put people's names in credits back then. Yeah. Right? It was very, especially Nintendo, keep everything close to your chest. We don't want you to know anyone who's working with us, right? And again, this is in the 80s, early 90s.
0: There was the one guy from Activision, even in the target. David 20- Crane. David Crane. So, he so was David- kind of the
1: first... He was like one of the first, well, even even before that, like EA was the first company to like put the developers in an ad, you know, as a two page ad, you can look it up. And, and it was, you know, all these great, you know, great designers back then. Um, but, but it was very rare. It yeah. was very rare. And so for me, after I left Virgin, I was getting calls from EA and Konami and Capcom and Activision and the GT interactive at the time. And they all wanted me to Namco, they Sega. They all want Midway. They all wanted me to go work for them instead. So I'd get headhunter calls all the time. I had won best music of the year award four years in a row. In fact, in 1994, I was four of the five final nominees because <laughs> I had like, I had Terminator, Earthworm, Jim. I think Aladdin was in there, Skeleton Warriors or something. It was like 94, or 95, I forget. But, um, and so everyone was calling me because I had come out with an album on Capitol Records. That's the only way they really knew my name. They're like, who's the this? The
0: first name? real video game OST, right? It 1994. was the very
1: first- uh commercially released worldwide with a major label Capitol Records it was and it was it was so old uh cuz it came out in 90, 94 i think was the official lante but it also it came out on cd and cassette so wow. I, I still have a nice. cassette <laughs> right over there of uh of the album so that's how old i am but um but yeah and it was so people were recognizing this name. And so when I would go to the conventions and I would, and I would generate press for myself, I would just literally... Call up the magazines, because again, this is before email right right <laughs> had
0: to call and I would call up so you could fax them
1: <laughs> I would call up Andy Eddie, who would be you know the editor of of uh, video games and computer entertainment, and i just I'd call and I'd be like, you know, because you look in the magazine, you see a phone number hi I, uh, who's the editor Andy Eddie hi, I'd like to speak to Andy Eddie, and they okay, and they'd put me right through right yeah. and uh And I would start, hi, Andy, my name's Tommy Tellerico, and I write music and uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, oh, really? What you, really? You work on games? Yeah, yeah. What game? Global Gladiators. Oh, I, I love that game. And boom, you start to talk and you start to form relationships and friendships with these folks. Yep. And so I would send them pictures and I would do all this crazy stuff to you know uh, that no one was doing at the time yeah. and again some people say, might look at that and go oh god that guy was an attention whore <laughs> but, but what I was doing was I was trying to break the stereotype and trying to make a name for myself because when I left virgin when I left in 94 I had over $2 million in contracts. I was working on the Madden football games. I was working on Namco stuff. I was working on uh, Earthworm Jim. I was working on, you know, and, and still doing Virgin stuff as well. Activision, EA. And again, that was a lot of money for back then. And, yeah. um, and so that was the reason for it was to just make a name for myself so that people, when they thought of video game music and audio, they would think of me and think of my company. And I got news for you. It worked. It did it worked work. Like a charm. <laughs> it got me a lot of
0: business. Now, for me, your crowning achievement, as far as game audio, is Metroid Prime. There you um, go. I don't know if a lot of people even realize that you worked on the soundtrack for Metroid Prime. What well, is I, your... didn't work,
1: I didn't work on the soundtrack. I okay. So, so the original Metroid composer did the music. And and it's and it's an actually it's a it's an interesting story. Um, so I've been friends with uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, and for those out there who don't know, Shigi uh, Miyamoto-san uh, he's the guy who created Mario, created Zelda, created you know he is the greatest of the greats. He's the Steven Spielberg of the video game industry. Um, and, and I know, I'd known him for many, many years. We met actually in early 91, I believe it was. And, um, we met at a, a CES show before there was E3. Yep. We used to be it part of CES. Yep. And, um, and so we had always, he'd always loved my audio and loved my soundtracks. And, and so he, and I was doing a lot of the stuff on the Sega Genesis, which was kind of his big rival with the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he would always say, How do you make it sound so good? Yeah. You know, the Genesis. Um, and so what? So we were at a party and it was at E3, I believe. I, so it must have been like 97 or 98. And we were at a Nintendo party and a, a, a mutual friend of ours jeff spandenberg who is the uh president owner founder of retro, retro studios yeah he's not there anymore but
0: yeah he didn't last long in fact he he well, got himself nintendo in a little bit of trouble he,
1: eventually <laughs> he got in a, he got himself in a i think some trouble with nintendo or something i don't know yeah. the story exactly or i just don't want to retell it um yep. <laughs> no but he's jeff's a buddy and um and so and me and Jeff were always cool. And, and so Jeff comes up to me, he goes, Hey, uh, me and Miyamoto want to talk to you. Do, you. do you have a few minutes? I'm like, are you kidding me? Do I have yeah. a few minutes for the King? I <laughs> always have, you know, hail to the if King. There's one person
0: me? you had time for. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't care who I was with or who I need to see. I was dropping that and going to see the, the master. Yeah. And so we, we went over kind of in a corner and he says, look, you cannot tell anyone this, you know, um, and so I, I didn't even sign like an NDA or anything. They, yeah. Look, you can't tell anyone this, but we're we're doing Metroid Prime. We're bringing or we're, sorry, we're bringing Metroid back and we're calling it Metroid Prime. We're like, huh? yeah. What? <laughs> this is crazy. And 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 he goes and Miyamoto, me and Miyamoto would like to hire you to do the sound design for the game. And. Of course, you know, I, I yes, no you, know, you know, yeah. like I, didn't, I didn't care how much money they were paying. I didn't care, whatever, whatever they wanted. It didn't yep. matter to me. And uh, so, yeah, so I worked on that for a couple of years. And at the time, Retro had like five or four or five other games they were working on. So they had an in-house audio department who was awesome. They were epic, yeah. they were amazing audio folks. And then what happened is Nintendo wasn't happy with the direction that Metroid was going. And because Retro had a bunch of other games, Nintendo came in and said, look, we're canceling all your projects and you're all gonna work on Metroid from now on. And and my contract was just coming to an end. I think it was like a couple of years or something. The contract was like two or three years. I'd, I'd have to look it up. I, I have a contract right somewhere. somewhere. Um, and Uh, and I had done a couple hundred sounds, I think at the time, maybe not even that much. It might've been a hundred. I don't remember. Again, I have to look at the contract, but I'd done a lot of the weapon sounds, the visor sounds. Uh, We did some cinematics for space world uh, and things like that. And, and so when that happened, my contract was up and they said, you know, you know, Tommy, we love you. You did great. But, the whole company is going in a different direction now and we have all these internal people. I'm like, no, no problem. Totally fine. No worries. Like, you know, I'm, I was happy to be a part of it. And again, I worked directly with Miyamoto on the sounds and stuff. It was amazing. amazing. And, uh, and then they, uh, and then the game like went through a lot of delays. I think it came out like two or three years later, went through like three or four different producers. So when the game came out, they didn't know that I had even worked on it at that point. <laughs> and so they- Are you not in the credits? My name wasn't in the credits. Wow, that stinks. But wait, but wait, no, but wait. I, but what happened is when they were working on Metroid 2 Echoes, I get an email from Scott Peterson, who was the head of Retro Audio, who 20 years later is still the head of Retro Audio and is super talented guy. Amazing. He emails me out of the blue. I, I didn't really even know him. Hi, my name's Scott Peterson. I'm the uh, audio. We're doing this second Metroid game. Um, and we, we found this, we don't know where these sounds came from. And they're like the most, some of the most significant sounds for weapons and things. And, and we saw this folder that says Tommy Telerico studios. So, did you work on this game? I said, yeah, I did. And said, Oh my God, this is so cool. And he was looking for higher res versions uh, of the this sounds, sounds. Cause when we had originally put them in, we had to down sample the hell out of them.
0: Yeah. Compress and them basically. They were, so exactly. They, could fit. they were using yeah. a bigger cart
1: or something like that. So they had better, or they or, um, uh, a disc they were, now. A disc, yeah. They were going to disc the disc and, and they were like, can we get these at a, at a, higher bit rate now i said sure so i you know gave him that stuff so i have that letter and he's like so sorry we left you out i said
0: now were you in the credits for echoes
1: i don't i don't know if i was i don't think i was I, again i didn't really ask <laughs> well at least you so got like, paid right <laughs> you know, I, but i didn't even care like i've yeah. worked on 350 games if you go on moby games they don't have half the games on there i have them on my website right so yep. i I, and and the reason I had to list them on my website, and, and I also had to show proof of every game, was because I, got, I, I in 2008, I think it was, I got the Guinness World Record for the person who's worked on the most video games in their lifetime. Oh, wow. And in order to do that, you have to show proof yep. of every game. So they said, could you have proof? And it took me like about a month and a half.
0: Of just so compiling... Like,
1: Yeah, because again, this is this is like you know, like YouTube was just coming out, I think, at the time or whatever, or maybe it was out, but but like like now you can go on YouTube and see the credits of any game pretty much ever. Or Or no archive of that
0: stuff back then. There's
1: websites that have every single uh, you know uh, uh, credit and booklet scanned in. Yep. But but lucky for me. I collected every single game that I ever worked on. And like I said, about you know half of them had my name in the credits. <clears throat> another half, or you know another a big bulk of them had my name in the credits at the end of the game. So now I had to finish the game and record them. And, and me and a group of my friends did it actually. It wasn't just me, but a, a couple of people who worked for me. We all we all kind of pitched in. Um, and then the ones that I didn't, I had to have letters from, from the company. And for Metroid, I used Scott Peterson's email.
0: Nice. Um,
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so uh, it was a different time back then. Now yeah. of course credits are- Everything's you know, very I'm official now
0: and everything's buttoned up with crazy contracts yeah. and NDAs. It definitely was a different time. And speaking of a different time, around that same point in your career, you ran into Victor Lucas at E3. 1995. And you 94. guys, you guys hit it off, and right uh, he, from the get go. Right from the get go, and a an amazing pairing was born. Uh, <laughs> a daddy from another
1: mother. Yes. What a
0: partnership that you guys would you embarked on at that point, and you decided to move into television. Now, yeah, how hard was it for you to do that, having kind of built your entire career around music, or were you but, were you convinced at that point you'd be able to do both?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was it was second nature, um, you know musician performing. I'd been in bands. I was always the front man. I was, you know, so to me, it was just another way of performing. It's just that now they're recording it on, on camera. Um, and the, 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 the hardest part for me initially was we were, cause again, I had never done anything like this before. Yeah. Really? I I had hosted ABC in concert with Peter Gabriel and Todd Rundgren. Which I had awesome. done that <laughs> in 90, I think that was 93. And so, and I hosted the entire show and cause they asked me to host the show and hey, we'll get this video game guy who makes video game music to do it. And I thought it was a cool angle and the show talked about video game music and cause CD-ROMs were just coming out and, and this and that. And so, and Peter Gabriel was like, and Todd Rundgren were doing interactive music. And so that was a big deal for me, but that was all just, Hey, Tommy up. intro, Peter Gabriel. Oh, yeah. okay. Hey, my, one of my favorite dudes of all time, Peter Gabriel. Um, but when I had sat down to do the TV show again, and they were doing this all for the first time. So they had me read off cue cards. So they'd put the cue cards in front of the camera and, and, and I just, I never felt comfortable with that. And I was struggling with it's that. It's hard. It's really right?
0: hard to read a teleprompter. It's or keep hard it. to
1: read and and make it sound natural. Yeah. And so what I told Vic is I said, look, Vic, and Vic wasn't even on the show at this point. He was just behind the camera. I was the guy who dragged him. I said, dude, drag dragging you in front of the camera. Because we'd have all these great conversations about video games when the cameras were off. And I'm like, dude, we should be filming this. Yeah, you we know? should
0: that should be a part of the show. Yeah. Right.
1: So so he didn't want to do it. And I finally forced him on it. And and now you can't get him off the camera. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, Vic's, Vic's the best. And 20 and, some years later. Yeah. Wow, uh, 25, 26 years later. Yeah. And so and so I said, Vic, why don't we just throw the cue cards away? Just, just tell me what you want me to say or, or, or uh, tell me the topic. And I'll do a cold, open, you know, yeah. and I'll do an open for it. And that's what we did. And the, so the first day I was really struggling, I was sweating, I was uncomfortable. And then l- that night I said, hey, Vic, I mean, I might be out of place here. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but can we just try it tomorrow with this? And he goes, yeah, sure. Why not? And then and then boom, it was like that. And then I never felt uncomfortable in front of the camera ever again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you, so you guys did initially electric playground. Mm-hmm which then turned into Reviews on the Run. Well, Reviews on the Run was a we segment outside Electric Playground, which yes. was then eventually split out completely for Judgment Day. Right. And, and it Judgment was Judgment
1: Day, Day on G4. Right. But it was called Reviews on the Run everywhere else in the in, in Canada the
0: and everywhere else. Canada yeah. And
1: every, yeah, it was a worldwide syndicated show. So I'll get emails and social media messages from, like, kids in Malaysia. Wow. Or kids in Italy. Or... Uh, people in Australia who watched the show growing up on, on television. So yeah, it was, it was pretty pretty amazing.
0: And then that I was at G four at that point, I was working on X play and I was the guy who was was handling all the reviews for X play. Got Um, it. Got it. Okay. And then little known secret. It's not a secret. Everybody knows this. Adam and Morgan weren't the ones reviewing the games. We had a huge staff of freelance writers who were reviewing the games and then they would present the reviews on the show. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of the editorial guy who was handling the reviews, making sure that our stuff was consistent. Um, right. and then you guys had, we had another review show on G4, which was your show called judgment day. Right. Well, and, it was just
1: two guys talking yeah. <laughs> with zero script or, you yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, yeah. but
0: it was from the heart is like, but yeah. yeah. I think the appeal of that show is it was from the heart. And I remember we would get messages from our fans saying, who is this Tommy Tallarico guy? Like some of his reviews are like crazy. They'd be like, "Yes." What, there was like a smash brothers review or something. I gave it a it became 4. Five, I think. Or yeah. Something.
1: yeah I, I give it a three and a half or something.
0: I hated it. And people I, thought that we were responsible for what you guys were doing. Oh, sorry so, about that. So <laughs> I was getting emails about your reviews that I'm like, I have, we have nothing to do with judgment day. And I'll tell you like, but they're good dudes, so be go easy on them. Like they're just telling you the truth how they feel See about that. Stuff. Look at
1: that. I had haters back then.
0: But everybody does. I mean,
1: anyone well, who I works mean, in this industry. You're not haters. you can't be considered semi-famous or famous unless you have haters. You well, know, people
0: have po- you- have people have told me the day you stop receiving hate mail is the day your career is over. You
1: should retire at that point. Exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> exactly. that means
0: that you're not stirring any kind of passion inside the viewers. Exactly. And I will say you did an amazing job. Of that. <laughs> I didn't look, I didn't agree with some of your reviews, but I felt like you, yeah. from your perspective, you could back it up. Like you had well, that's,
1: to be- see that. That's an interesting thing, Shane. And, and I think you nailed it. Like I never considered myself a reviewer. Right. right? And, and Vic always considered himself a journalist and a, and but that's and why your is. show
0: worked. He was a straight guy. You that's were the right. foil.
1: But bad cop, good cop, right? But but for me, what I would always tell people is I say, look, I'm telling you what I think. No one else. I'm not rating this game based on what I think merits what other people should buy or not. So please, if you (laughs) like the kind of games that I like, then maybe you'll like this or maybe you won't like this. But if you like, like I hated point and, um, uh, not point and click, um, those space games where yet it was like these massive multiplayer and you just, oh God, I click on the name.
0: galaxy and you get in a ship and it would oh, take three hours to get somewhere and you're, you're boring about as hell. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm like, brutal. I'm yeah. and
1: for what they are, they were good games. And if I was completely non-subjective, thinking about this as a... T- I, the game probably deserved a nine. But for Do me, like <laughs> I hate it. I don't like it. I'm giving it a two. And and Vic, of course, would love it and give it a nine. And that interaction of yeah. two friends talking to each other. And so that's where the dichotomy... I, I, I think people were expecting me to be doing what you guys were doing, right. which is, yeah. hey, present a non-biased thing like we see in the magazines. Yep. And my whole thing was like, look, there's a hundred magazines out there to give you that. That are doing that, yeah. You want my opinion? Look, I think I like extreme beach volleyball and Vic <laughs> hated it, you know? So it's was like, yep. I like fishing games and Vic yeah, hated yeah. them. He thought those were boring, which yep. I totally understand. So, so yeah, for me, Smash Brothers, I, I hated like button mashing. I was in a Tekken. Okay. I was in a virtual fighter. Like those were the style of fighting games I was into at that point. So when Smash Brothers came out, I was like, uh eh, it's like this kiddie cartoony. Like I like Tekken, you know, like, and, and have so you ever like,
0: grown to like Smash Brothers after all these years? What's that? Have you ever grown to like Smash Brothers after all these years? I've grown to appreciate it. But you still don't like it. Yeah. But I still don't. I, I still I don't. don't either, I'll be it. honest with you. I don't like Smash Brothers either. So. Yeah. I, I, I do I appreciate it. And I know there's a lot of depth there. And I know the people that love it. I know why exactly. they love it. It's just not for me. Yeah.
1: And, and I feel the same way. See, the, the difference was, if you were reviewing a type of game like that, the professional way to do it was, okay, I personally don't like it, but I'm going to take my bias out and I'm going to yeah, judge it. Objectively,
0: it's a good game still. Yeah.
1: And it's a good game, right? Yeah. But the way we did our show was like, Again, we put it right in the right in the front, right in the front. Opinions. This is an opinion show. Yeah. It's our opinions that you know. And I think that's, that's why people like the show. You were, that's look, why well, you people were unpredictable.
0: The show. They could tune in, and even if they had already read ten reviews for a game, they still didn't know what you were going to say about the game. Right, right, right. That's what, Seriously, right, yeah. and I think yeah. that's why people liked it, and because you did have Victor there to kind of play the other side, the more objective, right. the like, well you know really this is good you may not yep. like the aesthetics of it like exactly. because you had that balance there that's why the show worked and work totally. it, it was just
1: me complaining that wouldn't be as it wouldn't yeah. be good it wouldn't yep. be good and it but or, it did or work. saying how great a fishing game was it wouldn't <laughs> be good
0: <laughs> but it did work and that show ran for a really long time yeah. um you were pretty engaged with it until what around 2006 Seven. is that right
1: 2007 is when I, I left the show. And the reason I had to leave the show was, so I was doing video game audio. Yep. In 2002, I started a nonprofit organization called the Game Audio Network Guild. Gang. Yep. I was gang. I was doing that. I was doing 104 30-minute episodes a year. That's a so lot. So I would leave for a week, one week every month and i would live in vancouver for a week and we would tape
0: you crank 12, out 12 15 yeah. shows
1: and then i would go back and then i'd play games again in my spare time and then we'd i'd fly up there again and um and i did that for 12 years 12 years that's a
0: grind
1: and 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 then i start video games live yep and our first show is at the hollywood Bowl in 2005 well by 2007 we were doing like 30, 40 shows a year and we've up to 50, You continued 60 shows doing
0: the show for two years after you yes. started video games. Yes.
1: And, and for me, I had been on TV for 12 years. I loved it. But if I had a personal choice after you're on TV for 12 years, like if it was reversed, I would have picked like if I was on the road for twelve years, right? And then the TV presented itself. Probably would
0: have jumped. I probably would have
1: jumped into the TV show. So, so, but the way it worked out is twelve years TV traveling and or playing in front of tens of thousands of screaming people, adoring fans of video game music around the world. Adrenaline, like there's nothing to get your adrenaline (laughs) like that.
0: Well, it's different because you can see the people. When yes. you're on TV, it's, instant. it's just you and the camera. And yeah. you're like, I think people are eventually. Maybe that was do funny.
1: Yeah, maybe that was funny. Yeah, maybe but when you're like there
0: on stage and you have 10,000 people there, you're getting that feedback immediately. And, I've and also been can, in bands throughout my life. There's no feeling like yes. performing live on stage. There are just. You isn't. know,
1: and Shane, you can, you can, there's, and you, you can't really explain this to people unless you've been on stage and you, it, is that there is this magic in the air you you become one with the audience yeah it's amazing you can feel if they're uncomfortable you can feel if they're happy you can feel if they're sad you can feel if they're you know if they're laughing and something's funny and you're elated like when you're playing and you're just in the zone and they're in the zone there's i mean there's been times on stage shane and i've played in front of hundreds of thousands of people in one night, right? We've I've played in front of millions of people around the world, 550 performances of video games live, it's which amazing. is a Guinness world record, the it's longest running symphony tour ever. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you there's there was times on stage where it hits that first note of Castlevania and the lights come on and you're playing places like Brazil or Chile or Red Rocks in Colorado, sold out 9,000 people and the lights go on. You'll literally, for me, I have to focus on staying conscious.
0: <laughs> I know, I know it. I know the feeling. Because
1: your adrenaline yeah. is going so much, you start to black out a little bit. Yeah, you get dizzy. You start to get a little dizzy. It's, yep. it's that crazy. It's amazing. Know? Now, uh,
0: you said earlier um, that you always aim for the stars and you assume that you're going to succeed. Yes. And I think that is how you do succeed. You have, if, yeah. if you're not going to be positive, nobody else is going to be positive for if you. If
1: you think you're going to fail, you will. You're
0: going to fail. Absolutely. Yeah. So, my question to you is, even in your wildest dreams, did mm-hmm. you think Video Games Live would become as big as it has as quickly as it has? Yes. You did? <laughs> but, okay. But, 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 uh, but I but well, to i it I'll just be honest with you. I'm surprised at how successful. I love it, by the way. Yeah. Like, it's something here's I can I would... take my wife to. And right. she has a new appreciation for what I do. That's important to me. But still, I am shocked at how huge it has become.
1: So, so... I, I'll say yes with the caveat of, but I was naive. Okay. <laughs> me, me, meaning when I set myself to do something, I will achieve the goal. I I, I consider everything in my life uh, goal. Like I, I, I set goals for myself. Some are small, some are medium, some are huge, some are ginormous yeah in television amico ginormous the biggest mountain and and i and i always uh i always relate them to mountains my goals Mm -hmm. right and so i'm like oh that's a pretty that's a medium-sized mountain that's a high mountain i know when i set a goal for myself i know a hundred percent that i will be at the top of the mountain I don't know when I don't may not exactly know how I'm going to get there. (laughs) And I know along the way, it's going to rain. It's going to sleet. There's going to be wind storms. I'm going to be holding on for dear life. There's going to be a rock slide in my (laughs) face. I'm going to fall down 20 feet. There's going to be people underneath me trying to drag my drag you down and and get ahead of you. Yeah. But I know I'm going to get up there. Right. Yep. And so when you start something like video games live, it was funny. I remember I was sitting in my agent's office and he's the number one music agent in the world, in the planet. This is the guy who was the you know, booking agent for like Prince. And Van Halen and Britney Spears and Lady Gaga and Nine Inch Nails. This is the guy who helped create Lollapalooza. This is the guy who created Coachella and wow. all these amazing things. The number one guy in the, his name's Mark Geiger. You look him up on oh, I know. I'm
0: familiar with Mark. Yeah. He's,
1: he's incredible. Yeah. And so that's, and he's my friend and he's my agent. And I'm sitting in his office at William Morris and a talent agency. And he, and uh, we're talking about video games live and he's really excited and he totally gets it. And he's like, okay so uh, uh you know so where where should we say i said well well i want to play the hollywood bowl with the la philharmonic and he's like laughing at me like me. <laughs> me.
0: Look, not look, gonna for, happen let, let me
1: tell you i've been in the industry a long time i'm biggest of the big. <laughs> let me tell you something one no one starts a show in la because la is
0: that's the mecca it's that's the what you have to build up to you start in like poughkeepsie new york or and and, and
1: and get the show good <laughs> yeah, get it going tune it up yeah screw it up a bunch
0: of times right right play in idaho yeah. playing
1: wisconsin then come and then you play when it's great then you come to la because ev- you're not just ev- talking about la great.
0: you're talking about the hollywood bowl and not it, so then for people who don't live in la but, that's yeah. really the pinnacle like if you want to go see a no, show in the best possible venue in Los Angeles. That's right. It's the Hollywood Bowl.
1: It's 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 where the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and Frank Sinatra play. It's, it's an it's amazing where... venue.
0: It's outdoors. It's yes. perfect. The acoustics are great. Yeah.
1: And and so and so and that's why I picked it because it yep. was the best in the the <laughs> most prestigious best orchestra and the best
0: uh, you know and the L. A. Phil you know, plays there all summer long as well. That's right. Yeah.
1: And so and so I said, look, I'm going to play the bowl. And he goes, first of all. That's that's bad. Uh, like like you, you want to <laughs> tune up the show. He goes the second. But the second point, Tommy, is that maybe you tour for 10 or 15 years. Maybe you get a bunch of gold and platinum records. Maybe you get a couple of Grammys and then maybe you get invited to play the Hollywood Bowl.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you don't kidding. do your first show ever.
0: I've never seen a, a scrubby <laughs> band at Hollywood right? Bowl. It's always been like a band I've a really wanted band. to see for a long time. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so I sat in his office and I said, Look, we're, we're I'm playing the Hollywood Bowl at the LA Phil. And he's laughing because he knows me. And he's like, You're not gonna let this go, are you? I said, <laughs> playing the Hollywood Bowl. And I and 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 it was funny because uh, me and my uh, my buddy who, who uh, Jack Wall, who's conductor of Video Games Live, we're leaving the meeting and we're going down in the elevator. And he's just like, like this, like, like kind of laughing. Cause he knows me as well. He's like laughing. He's like, he goes, we're going to play the Hollywood bowl. Aren't we? And I said,
0: damn right we <laughs> damn are. Right we are.
1: <laughs> Lo and behold, you know, two years later, I'm on the stage first show ever at the Hollywood bowl. I got Steve Vai playing guitar with me. I got the LA Philharmonic tens of thousands of people. I got, are you ready for this? Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear Solid flies over to Japan for me to see the show and bring him on stage. I got the creator of Tron, wow. uh, Steve Lissenberger on stage with me. I got life-size light cycles zooming across the stage. I got people in uh, in on wires floating around. I have Um, uh, the Nintendo folks from Nintendo of America all came down. I had the Halo team fly down. I had the Blizzard Entertainment team were there. I had Yuji Naka, the creator of Sonic the Hedgehog. He flew out from Japan, did the meet and greet. Nolan Bushnell from Atari. People didn't even know who these people were at the time, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And so, and they were just starting to, you know how they learned about them? A lot of people from G four icons,
0: absolutely right? That's great, such show. A great show. Still to and this just, day, yeah. great show. Yeah,
1: yeah, amazing. And so, and so, he, you know, and again, people and my friends are like, like they're sitting there, in the, and my mom's there, my dad, and every, and they're sitting in the audience. And Stan Lee's, there. I call up Stan Lee's, my buddy, I worked with him on Spider Man and 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 other projects, and we became legit friends. And so I call him up. I said. Mr. Lee, call me Stan. Hey, okay. Uh Excelsior Tommy. You know, and 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 he and I said, Stan, would you like to come to my video games live show and do the red carpet for me? He goes, I'd love to. And then he and then he, he he would come to the show and he and he, you know, after the show, he comes backstage. We had this big party and stuff. And and he's like, he goes, Tommy, he puts his hand on my shoulder, he goes, I tell you, kid. He goes, I didn't know a single damn thing that was happening up there on screen, but I love the music. Awesome. That's <laughs> and, great. And so there's a perfect example. And so in my mind, when I start to create it, I'm thinking Hollywood Bowl, Stan Lee and Hideo Kojima in the audience, tens of thousands of people, L.A. Phil behind me, Steve, me and Steve Vide jamming on guitar, Goodyear blimp looking down on us. That's what I think. So in my mind, when you ask me the question, did you ever think video games I would get to do? At the beginning, yes, I really you did. did it. <laughs> but the reality was, is that when I look back now and realize what I pulled off and go, wow. wow like, you know, <laughs> I surprised myself, <laughs> yeah. right? And I'm like, yep. holy crap. But to build it to where it was, was such hard work yeah. grinding
0: so many phone calls i mean pitches, it's just
1: a de- dang, you know two decades calls. of my life and my yep. career uh to to build that up so so i was naive to think that it would be this great thing. Just like I'm naive now about in television. You ask me how many in television, you're going to be successful with in Intelliv- Hell yeah. We're going to sell a hundred million units. We're going to, <laughs> yeah, we're like going to sell tens of millions of units. We're going well, to I be. I can tell
0: you've worked in television because you just, you just segued into the next part of the discussion, <laughs> which is what you're doing now. So video games live becomes huge, uh, far mm-hmm. beyond whatever I, what I expected it sure. to become. Yeah. And you decide to become the president of Intellivision Entertainment and relaunch the Intellivision. Why, Tommy? So, so the, the the after doing a lot of
1: things that I've done in my career, you know, I've worked on the biggest video games of all time, from Tony Hawk to the Sonic to Madden Football, Earthworm Jim, Disney's Aladdin, Metroid Prime, Guitar Hero. Worked, at, right? Mm-hmm. TV shows, winning telly awards and Emmy awards and, and, you know, getting to the top of that field and literally everything I've ever set my mind to do, I've, I've done. And I did it for decades, right? Yeah. The TV show for 12 years, my music career for 30 years, yep. uh, touring video games live 20 years. Right. Yep. And so, you know, I was like, well, what can I do now in the video game, industry. <laughs> like what's
0: left, <laughs> like
1: what, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I'm being honest. When yeah. and, and I was thinking, like, you know, I could create a studio and do video games, but everyone kind of does that,
0: yeah. It's also really, really hard and really, really expensive, and yeah, but but, you it's know, like, but anyone
1: can anyone can start an indie game company and yeah, put out content sure. and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So so I'm like, yeah, everybody does that. And then I start to get this crazy thing in my head where it's like, well, I see this huge gaping hole in the video game industry, which is when I was growing up playing in television, you know, my fondest memories of playing video games and Shane, I'm interested to know if you feel the same way. My fondest memories of playing video games when, was when I was playing with other people. Yeah. Whether it was Mario Kart on the N64 or or GoldenEye on the N64, Mario Kart on Super Nintendo, Bomberman on the Saturn, or Major League Baseball and in television with my dad, whatever it was, my fondest memories. And what happened is when the internet creeped into the video game industry in the late 90s, as you remember, multiplayer gaming, the majority now was a dark room, a kid in a dark room with their headphones on. Yeah. Yep. And that couch co-op experience started to go away. And and every video game system since... The, you know, the last video game system that came with two separate controllers was Super Nintendo in 1990. Wow. That was the last video... Now, people say, well, the Switch. Well, no, that's one controller that is split. You the can use. Bricks, yeah.
0: but, but the... And so... But and Nintendo so, has kind of tried to revive that a little bit with Switch. Because if you look at the early marketing, a lot of the trailers and commercials will have the tablet propped up on a table. Exactly. And they'll have people sitting around beside each other playing. So they exactly. are trying to rekindle it a little bit.
1: They're tr- And well, they did it with the Wii, though. The yeah, Wii, that's true. which the Wii was 15 sports. years ago. Yeah. W- like my mom bought a Wii. Yeah, My mom never bought a video game system, but she bought a Wii because she wanted to go bowling and, you know, yeah, it was play simple, some tennis easy, and- fun, right? Yep. But the thing I found most interesting about the switch. And by the way, I love this switch. I love Nintendo. I love them all. I love Sony. Me Microsoft. Too, yeah. How can you call yourself a gamer? If you don't, like, I don't, like I'll never like understand it.
0: I think that's something people our age get that a lot of the younger kids just don't get to be yeah. Perfectly honest. With you. Yeah,
1: exactly. love everything. Yeah. Why not love all the systems for yeah. what
0: they are. And, and
1: there's things I don't like about every system as well. And that's yeah. fine too. What me and you, what, what gamers consider to be casual on home consoles because you would probably be like me and say name a casual co-op game on the switch you'd say overcooked would it be was on the
0: first that- game that came to mind when you said that yeah. right
1: animal crossing yeah. is another great casual game right mm-hmm. but what's casual to us is not casual to a casual gamer or a non-gamer, or let's call them hyper-casual gamers. Yep. 3.1 billion people play this every day. Mobile games. Mobile games. Mobile games have completely taken over the entire video game industry. I hate to admit
0: it, but you're right. Yeah. People don't really understand the scale that mobile's at.
1: What people don't realize is the video game industry is $150 billion a year industry, 160 billion. It's double digit growth over the last 30 years. And then when you get into a pandemic, worldwide pandemic, worst economy ever, it goes up 20%, right? So, but what people don't realize is that that money that's being spent, 20% of that is in PC. 25% of that is all of the home consoles. And the remaining 55% of all the money that's made in video gaming is mobile. So it almost triples PC market and it, and it more than doubles home console. But when me and you or the average person say, when you think of video game, you think of Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo. Yep. So the way I designed Amico and thought of it is if you add up. PC, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, those, and let's call them gamers, let's call them hardcore gamers. Core, yeah, core gamers. Console gamers, console and PC gamers. That's 200 million people in the world. Mm -hmm. But 3 billion people play this. Yeah. Why do 3 billion people play this and they're not playing home consoles? And now obviously the simple answer is, well, it's convenient. Everybody's got one in their pocket. True. But when you start to dig deeper, you start to realize that we factor comes in, which is simple. Home consoles are too expensive. They're too complicated. The controls are too complicated. I don't understand it. There's too much of a learning curve. If I want to play four players, what I have to buy four PlayStation controllers at 70 bucks a pop. And that's the mindset of, a non-gamer but they find comfort in this but what's wrong with this well it's all microtransaction based we know that and if you're not paying for it then you're getting a 30 second ad every three minutes this isn't really great as a controller it's great for pop pop bubble games and match three but try to play pac-man on this oh
0: i know like up down left i mean it's the reason i don't play mobile games
1: and 98% of it's garbage uh-huh. or how many fart apps do you need? <laughs> the answer is four by the way, yeah. but, but, um, no. but, but, and so, so what I thought to myself was what if there was a system that had all of the retro sensibilities that people like me and you grew up with, we didn't have violent games back in the day, oh. But, but, but the biggest thing is what if every single game was casual, hyper-casual co-op? Yeah. What if it didn't matter what your skill level was that you could just pick, like similar to the Wii, where you could just pick it up and play and you understood it and that's what Amico is. Our four pillars of our company, Shane, are simple, affordable family, entertainment, and those four words spell out the word safe because here's a video game console that parents don't have to figure out how to set the parental controls because they never have to.
0: What is the target release date for Amico at this point? 10, 10,
1: 2021. So COVID hit us pretty good. You know, yep. uh, there's a scarcity with components all over the world now. Sony Not just for you guys, them.
0: Sony and Microsoft are dealing with the same thing. Yep.
1: Amazon are, um, uh, uh, Apple and Samsung are buying up everything. And, and, uh, you know, and so it's, it's difficult out there. So we, we had to delay it. We originally wanted to come out 10, 10 of 2020 of last yep. year. And and the date was significant to me. Part of the reason I picked it was two reasons. One, you get out before Christmas because you don't want to come out on Black Friday with everyone else. Right. Yep. So you get a little dip in the pool before the before the, the crazy big boys
0: start coming in. Yeah. Um,
1: And 1010 was my sister's birthday, uh, who unfortunately passed away about 20 years ago. So it was it was a dedication to my sister.
0: So what a bummer that it didn't happen, man.
1: And it it, 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 it was it was a bummer. But but to me, Shane, I'm not going to put out a half assed, rushed product.
0: Why would you, though? It would be foolish. You just end up wasting all your time, all your money.
1: I would, and, and I think Miyamoto had has his great quote, which is, you know, people never remember
0: uh, that a game was delayed, but they always remember one that was put out and it was a piece of crap. Yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Something like that. Right. Yep. You always see that Miyamoto meme. I don't even know if he really said it, but we can't, we're not like, I'm not sitting here drinking my own Kool-Aid going, oh, we're going to be just as big as Sony, Microsoft. and. That they're billion dollar companies, right? We don't have the infrastructure. They do. We don't have the technology that they do. We don't have the marketing strength that they do, but I'll tell you what we do have. We have passion and we have ideas. And that's the one thing where we can compete with the big folks. They can't be nimble. It's very Maybe hard to be. It, their projects be
0: start three years out.
1: <laughs> and they cost $20 million. And
0: it's oh, way more than that. People, <laughs> way right? more than that. Yeah. And,
1: and, and, so, and so for us, you know, that's, that's where we live and breathe. We have our path. Consider us somewhere between that Nintendo Switch and mobile. And we have the license to Sesame Street. Oh. And we're doing exclusive stuff with them.
0: That's a big deal.
1: Now, How many Sesame Street games, which again, the number one edutainment license, 50 years. How many Sesame Street games are on the PlayStation, the Xbox, or even the Nintendo Switch?
0: Like none.
1: I'll I'll tell you, (laughs) zero. Yeah, there's none. (laughs) That tells you all you need to know, right? Yep. Edutainment has gone over to mobile, but the biggest problem with mobile, aside from all that other stuff I mentioned, is it's just a person being a zombie well, One I think we've person- learned
0: with distance learning, too, that kids have not responded well to staring at an iPad for right. three hours or their phone screen for three hours. I think yeah. even people yeah. who are younger understand why people like us have an affinity for Intellivision. I just think that right. they do because uh, yeah. I've been talking about it for 20 some years of my career. Right, right. But how the Intellivision changed everything for me and how it was the first time I played a system where I was like, I could see the possibilities finally of what was going to become. Um, sure, with the sports and- games, especially football, um, being able to call plays and basically design plays, it was right. groundbreaking for the time. And I I could see just the animation of the players, the way they ran. And Now, Tommy, one last thing I want to ask you about, because sure. it's been a part of your career pretty much the entire time, is game music. Yes. So I've worked at so many outlets, and I love music, and I love mm-hmm. games. And so I've always tried to create content around music in games. Every place right. I've been, I've tried to pitch a segment, a show, an idea, a concept. In a lot of places, we've launched the stuff. It never does well. <laughs> why do? You, seriously, though, why do you think people devalue music in video games as much as they do? And with that in mind, does it surprise you even more how well Video Games Live has done? Well, see, again, it's, it's tough for me to think like that. Cause you go back to your early days? You're saying I was the last person Yeah, people person didn't who appreciate it. People made and, and like people I made had fun no of me. space left on the cartridge yeah. to make my yeah. music and yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I people were like would laugh at me. What what do you do for a living? I write video game music. <laughs> really? But, that yeah. stuff I turn off? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was and and so um I think a big turning point and this will sound arrogant, uh, but I don't mean it to come out like this. It's just from the amount of letters that I get, which is why I'm saying this. I don't you know, say this, but I, you know, others say it to me. A big turning point was when we did our PBS special in 2010, and that reached 90 million households across the United States. Right? Mm-hmm. PBS is a big deal. I mean, it you're is. talking. Yeah, people Elton don't realize John, the
0: distribution because it's on everything. It's like, has to be.
1: Celine Dion. Yeah, and we were the eighth. They, they've done over 4,000 concerts on PBS. We were the eighth ranked highest performance in history of PBS. That's huge. The most letters we get are from non-gamers saying, you know what? I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't understand why my kids are so much into video games, but now that I see the music and I see these graphics and the storylines and the characters and the outfits and the cosplay and that, I get it now.
0: You've created the bridge between. Thank
1: you so much. Yeah. You look around and it's families.
0: It is. Yeah. Together.
1: So now, Shane, after 30 years of victories and 50 industry awards and Emmys and Grammys, all this stuff, I start Amico. What do you think they're saying to me, Shane?
0: Same thing. They're gonna say you're gonna fail. You're stupid.
1: Families aren't gonna play video games. Nintendo already does this you're an idiot you're a yep. fail you're gonna fail you now you've, you've so anyway i just to me it's fuel for me it's like the the more it's worked for tell, you is it also, i almost wonder no, if
0: you wouldn't have had these haters if you would have succeeded
1: right who knows right it if would pat me on the back and give you. me a trophy on day one i wouldn't have gone for it You know, i mean stuff? i think
0: most people when someone tells them that they can't do something it just it lights something inside Boom, them, right? It's just human nature. It's like, Oh, exactly. really? You think I can't exactly. do it? Well, let me show you. Exactly. And you've been doing that your entire career. Um, <laughs> one last thing we like to do on three night weekend before we go, yeah. we ask each guest what they're going to be playing, what they're going to be watching and what they're going to be drinking this weekend.
1: Okay. Well, I don't drink alcohol, so I will be, and I'm a vegan, so I'll be drinking, uh, probably blue diamond, almond milk chocolate okay uh that's that's and and i'm a big lemonade guy but i try to make it with without sugar
0: what about he, arnold he, palmer's are you, are you fans of the arnold palmer i'm not a big alma palmer guy really? i'm more
1: of a shirley temple i like okay. the grenadine all right but again when you when you get older i just turned 53 a couple uh last week and, and sugar sugar's a killer when you're in your 50s because you is. put on pounds so yeah. much and it's also
0: bad for your cholesterol
1: and yeah you know. oh. And, and, and I'm a hundred percent Italian, so I like the pasta too. Yeah, so me too. you know, so that turns in carbs turns into sugar too. Yep. So so I'll go with lemonade and chocolate milk. Um, sometimes I'll treat myself to a bavarian root beer. Um, okay. uh but that's a root beer, not not alcohol. Right. Um, that's what I'm drinking. What I'm watching, um, I've gone back and I and I just started I have a like a home theater here in my house and I just started watching from the first one all the way uh, to the most recent one, I started watching Mission Impossible again. God, I love those movies. Those great. were like, and, and they just kept getting better and better. Yeah. And the Mission Impossible movies were the ones where, like there were no Star Wars or Raiders where you yeah. you've you seen it 40 times. Mission Impossible for me, was like, I saw it once. Like I have my favorite movies. Like I've, I've seen The Godfather, Fifth Element, and tron and tombstone like i've seen those movies a hundred times right yep. even like guardians of the galaxy i've seen like 10 15 it's great. times
0: <laughs> it's really good
1: right but mission impossible was one of those things where i really loved it but i never like saw it again you uh-huh. know yep. so i got the i got the super hd blu-ray whatever they call it the high fidelity ones the 4k
0: the ultra hd ones yeah, yeah.
1: ultra hd and i started watching i'm like god these movies are so good So that's, I'll be watching, I think I'm on number four this weekend. Um, And then playing, um, I'm going to tease everyone and saying that, you know, I'm, I'm designing most of the games for Intellivision. We have 50 games in development right now. So I'll be playing this weekend. um, Where's my, I'm playing uh, Astro Smash. Classic. By Planes. Uh, uh Evil Knievel and Space Strikers. And th- so that's what I'll be playing this weekend games that aren't released yet. Awesome.
0: And Tommy, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they find Amiko on Twitter? Where can they find video games live? You have so much stuff going on. Right. Where can everyone find all the stuff you're doing?
1: If you go to the easiest thing, go to tellarico.com. T-A-L-L-A-R-I-C-O, tellarico.com. And if you just go to the bottom of the page, you'll see everything it's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and we're just making an announcement next week. Shane, this is a, this is an exclusive. We're actually doing a show, one show in 2021, and it's March 27th in Texas.
0: Wow. Yeah. Where where, where in Texas?
1: It's Lubbock, Texas. Okay. and, And it's with the Lubbock symphony. And the city wanted to do this thing where they have like a 3,500 seat venue or a 3,000 seat venue. And so they're selling every third seat, social distancing, masks, Masks. everybody on masks on the stage.
0: Awesome. Tommy, great catching up with you. No um, worries, and can I say something before I go though,
1: Shane? I gotta say you've been showering me with with all these you know amazing kind words and accolades throughout the last uh, uh, couple hours here. But but sir, my hats off to you because <laughs> you know you've been a person, and I you know we've been friends, and you know not super close, but we're always following each other and yeah. watching what what each other's doing. We'll send messages here and there, but. My friend, hats off to you too, because you're always in the mix somewhere. You're always doing what you're doing yep. with a positive attitude. You know, so many people out there nowadays, it's so easy to be negative all the time. And again, this is coming from the negative guy from G4, <laughs> right? But but it was always well, tongue in cheek. Sure, it, was always yeah. tongue in, it was always good cop. I always cop. knew that. You know, yeah. it was like, you know, like people, I, I was doing it to be funny, not to be nasty or
0: mean. I think right? everybody people, get, got that. We'll yeah. pick up on that. Yep.
1: So in a world where drama is a thing and being mean and nasty is a thing, you've always kept it above board. You've always kept it professional and positive. So my friend, hats off to you because I really admire and appreciate your
0: career as well. Thank you, Tommy. I really, yeah. really appreciate that, especially coming from someone like you. So once again, thanks to Tommy Talarico and best of luck with getting video games live going again. Heck and yeah. I really am rooting for Intellivision Amico. All right, now that you know what Tommy's up to this weekend, it's time to figure out your path through the next couple days. And I don't know if you guys have been listening to this show every week, but it's pretty good at telling you what's going on this weekend. Let's get to it. Games! Just one big full release for today, Bravely Default 2 launches exclusively for the Nintendo Switch. It's available right now. Uh, Initial reviews have been a little mixed, but if you're looking for a grindy JRPG, it's a great option. Really, the two big things for the weekend are two demos. There's a demo for Outriders, which I would describe as kind of a cross between Anthem and The Division... And it's coming from the studio People Can Fly and Square Enix. There's a free demo for that that's huge. In fact, you can play it for like seven hours. It's available on pretty much every platform but Switch. And then also this weekend, there is a demo available for the System Shock remake. It's been a long time coming. A lot of people thought it might be eventually canceled, but it looks like it's on the way. And there's a free demo to play right now. TV and film. It's actually kind of a slow weekend if you're looking for new stuff on the big streaming services like Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime. But there's a few things worth keeping an eye on. Um, If you're looking for something to keep your kids busy over the weekend while you do other stuff, the Tom and Jerry movie launches on HBO Max today. Um, On VOD, if you're looking for a movie to rent, there's a film called Minari that has been getting a lot of critical acclaim. It's about a Korean family that moves to Arkansas in the 80s. You can only imagine what that was like. And then there's a big documentary launching this weekend called Billie Eilish, Uh, The World's A Little Blurry. It's on Apple TV. I'm sure you guys know who Billie Eilish is. She's this gigantic pop star who's still not even 20. Should be interesting to kind of understand where she's come from and how she got to where she is. And then probably the biggest TV and film release this weekend, though some people will disagree, is The Walking Dead Season 10 Part 3 launches on AMC on Sunday Uh, Because of COVID, they have had to split up this season into three different parts, and it is kind of the continuation, or maybe really the conclusion, of the Whisperer saga. Music! It's a big week for music releases, and all these albums come out today. We're going to recommend four different things for you, and they kind of run the gamut. First up is Cloud Nothings, the new album, The Shadow I Remember. If you're a fan of Death Cab for Cutie, they're kind of a harder, more edgier version of that band. Uh, next up is a group called Blank Mask and the new album is called Inferno. Now their music has no lyrics whatsoever and it almost defies description. It's kind of like if the Trans-Siberian Orchestra took on 80s synth pop again. Defies description for certain people, I think you'll really like it. Um next up is a classic, Alice Cooper, believe it or not, has a brand new album. Coming out today called Detroit Stories. And I will say, it sounds like it was recorded back in his heyday. So if you want straightforward rock, there you go. A new Alice Cooper album. And then finally, the Melvins have a brand new album that came out today as well called Working With God. Reviews for that have been amazing. It's hard to believe the Melvins still doing it after all this time. And they are also kind of hard driving uh, straight up rock. Uh, But they have a great pedigree and their new album is out today. Sports. As always, sports are in no short supply this weekend. There is tons of stuff going on. Kicking things off today, the Trailblazers take on the Lakers on ESPN at 10 p.m. Eastern, and then the Puerto Rico Open kicks off on the Golf Channel, and that's going all weekend long. Saturday's always a big day for the Premier League, and this weekend is no different. Manchester City takes on West Ham United at 7.25 a.m. on NBCSN. Then West Brom takes on Brighton and Hove Albion at 9.55 a.m. on NBCSN. And then the WGC Workday Championship happens at 2:30 on NBC, and that is the big golf tournament on NBC for the weekend. If you're looking for college basketball this weekend, it is rocking all weekend long. If you just tune into any of the ESPN networks, it's pretty much wall to wall college basketball all weekend. Uh, and then later that evening, the Mavericks take on the Nets on ABC at 8:30 p.m. Eastern. Then rolling into Sunday, more Premier League. In fact, you got a triple header on SN starting at 7 a.m. So a little earlier, it kicks off with Leicester City versus Arsenal. The next game is Tottenham uh, versus Burnley. And then the third game is Chelsea versus Manchester United, and that kicks off at 11.25 a.m. If you're into hockey, like me, um, the Bruins take on the Rangers at noon on NBC. And then for NASCAR, the Dixie Vodka 400 kicks off at 3.30 p.m. on Fox. And then the MLB preseason, believe it or not, kicks off on MLB Network, and there's just games kind of back-to-back all day long. And then if you're into the NBA, the Clippers take on the Bucks on ABC at 3.30 p.m. That should be a really good game. Esports. It's another slow weekend for eSports. We're still in the pandemic, so it's not a surprise. Uh, but the Valorant Challenger Series goes on all weekend long, and the FIFA World Cup is going down in three different territories. I'm sure you can find all those streams live on Twitch. Alright, that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Three Night Weekend at Games at sifted.net. Hopefully by now you'll agree with us when we say that we feel like we've got something really special with this show. Obviously that's for you to decide, but if you really like it and you wanna get more of it, please head to patreon.com slash sifted, that's s-i-f t d, and drop us a pledge. If you want to know when the show is posted for free, follow us on Twitter at Sifted Games. And if you want to reach out to me and maybe suggest future guests for the show, you can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. I'm Shane Satterfield. Reminding you that every weekend is a three-night weekend.